Well, good morning. Happy Easter. Man, it's good to see all you here today. Thanks for joining us. Great to have so many of you with us online today as well. Hey, several years ago, Bob and his buddy Brandon were in Washington, D.C. on a business trip when they were walking back to their hotel one night and discovered that there was a lot of commotion going on around the uh, the Library of Congress, a lot of barricades and cars that weren't normally there. So upon a little further discovery, what they found out was that they were shooting the, some scenes from the film National Treasure 2 there that night. So Bob and Brandon hustled back to their hotel, changed out of their suits, and put on jeans and t-shirts to look the part of the crew for the film. Then they went back to the Library of Congress. They sneaked past a few security guards. They ran across a couple lawns. They climbed through some shrubs until they made their way to the side entrance that said crew entrance. And they walked right into the building as though they belonged there. They followed the signs that said movie set. And they walked down some hallways, turned a few corners, and no one said anything to them. Until they came to a security guard with a metal detector who looked at Bob and asked, where are your crew badges? Now, friend, what would you have done at that point? Well, Bob looked at his buddy Brandon, looked back at the security guard and just simply said, we don't have them. The security guard barked a couple things at him, told him to make sure they brought their crew badges next time and then waved them through. Down a few more hallways, around another corner, and suddenly they're in the center of the Library of Congress with its millions of books at two in the morning with the cast and crew of National Treasure 2. So Bob and Brandon just stepped beside some other guys and pretended that they were supposed to be where they were. They watched some scenes get filmed. They were filming the scene where they were looking for the presidential book of secrets. And while the filming was going on, they were chatting with each other to plot their escape because how do you get out of that situation without getting in trouble? So they were trying to figure out how to get out when they had wrapped up the filming And around the corner, right from where they stood, walked Nicolas Cage and Diane Kruger with an entourage of crew members. So once again, Bob and Brandon just jumped in, followed suit, and walked right out without anyone saying anything to them. Now, who do you think the best actors were in National Treasure 2? I'm going with Bob and Brandon. Those guys just played the part. Now, if you ask my family, my wife, my kids, they will tell you that sometimes I'm kind of like that. I've been known to sneak into my fair share of places that maybe I wasn't supposed to be and just act like I was supposed to be there. Anybody else with me? Anybody else like that? Yeah, I love that Bob and Brandon just walked right in. They acted the part they pretended, and they just acted like they were supposed to be there. Now, I do have some limitations, just want to make this known. The more fences there are, the more sharp things atop those fences, and the more guards there are, and the more guns those guards carry, the less likely I am to try and sneak into that place, right? But I do like trying to get into some places where maybe we're not supposed to be, because why not? It might end up with a good story. And I've sneaked into a lot of places. I just haven't been able to sneak onto a movie set yet. The day will come, and I'll tell you about it. Now, all the time, we are faced with signs that tell us that we don't belong. We're faced with authorized personnel-only signs, employee-only signs, restricted areas, do not enter. Sometimes the sign is just a little more harsh and just tells us, keep out. 
Like we know we're not supposed to be there. All the time we face barriers. We face signs that tell us that we don't belong. Well, that's kind of how it was in the temple in the first century, the center of Jewish life at the time that Jesus was alive. The temple at that time had different areas that were increasingly restrictive. Along the outer perimeter of the temple, just about anybody and everybody could gather there. And that was no problem at all. But once you entered into the gate of the temple and made your way inside, with each courtyard and each place you went, it became increasingly restrictive. And once you passed into the temple proper, to the very heart of the temple, there were only two rooms. There was the holy place and the most holy place. The most holy place also called the holy of holies. It was the holiest place on earth. And that is where God's presence was said to reside. Now we know, we know you can't limit God's presence to any place. God is present throughout the entirety of his creation. There's not a place you can go where God will not be there with you. But there in the temple, in that place, God's presence was more intensified, more magnified. And the very holy, intense presence of God was said to reside right there. It was God's perfect magnificence. Now, only the high priest of the Jewish people could enter into that holiest of places. Because only the high priest was considered holy enough. But he still wasn't holy enough. Because he could only enter that place once a year on the Day of Atonement, on a special day made for giving sacrifice and making atonement for the sins of the people. It was the most restrictive place on earth. Now, the reason that he was not holy enough, the reason that other people were not holy enough to get in was because of our sin. But God had given us a system to take care of our sin, kind of. Like God told us that our sin is costly. Our sin will lead to death. That's what we see with Adam and Eve in the garden in the very first sin. That their sin leads to death. To a very real physical death that all of us will face. But also a spiritual death that all of us have inherited. That our sin is costly. It costs us our life. And it costs us relationship with God. It costs us relationship with each other. It breaks our relationship with ourselves. Sometimes we just know we're not okay even with ourselves. We wrestle with ourselves because of our sin. And so God gave them a system for making amends for the sin. It was a sacrificial system. And there in the temple, there were several altar spots where animals would be sacrificed because God allowed them to sacrifice a pure animal as a temporary sacrifice, to sacrifice an innocent animal as a temporary substitute For our lack of innocence. Because we are not innocent. We needed to have something that was innocent. To shed its blood in our place. So all the time they were sacrificing animals. And depending upon the severity of the sin you were trying to atone for. To make up for. Would require a different animal. Sometimes a dove. Or a lamb. Or a ram. Or a goat. Or a bull. Or a sheep. And so these animals were sacrificed all the time. And in the temple. But once a year, they would sacrifice a special bull and a special goat, and then the priest would enter into the Holy of Holies to sprinkle that blood and to confess his own sin and the sins of all the priests and all the people, basically to apologize to God. It was a special sacrifice, a special offering on that special day. But to enter into that place, he had to pass through a very special 
entryway. There is an enormous curtain, 60 feet tall, 30 feet wide, more than six inches thick, that separated the most holy place from the holy place in the heart of the temple. And this curtain was woven together of intricately of beautiful fabric of crimson and scarlet and purple and blue and, and white fabric in the middle of it. And there were ornate things laid into it. It was just this incredibly beautiful, beautiful barrier. It was, in essence, a keep out sign saying that in the most holy place, you don't belong. Stay out of that space. Only the high priest only once a year can come in. Authorized personnel only. No one else gets to go in. No one else can enter into that holy place and be in the presence of God in that intensified form and live. And so to enter into that place, it was magnificent. This curtain was huge. It was beautiful. I mean, it would like take up this entire space up here, right? And it was heavy. It was not easy to move. And so this curtain symbolized the barrier between people and God. It symbolized that the holiness of God was veiled from unholy people, from sinful people. It, It was a picture of Adam and Eve's exile from the Garden of Eden. It told us that access to God was limited at best. But then something incredible happened. Something magnificent happened. The sinless son of God was crucified. Mark records it in his gospel, his telling of the story and the ministry of Jesus. He records it this way. At noon, darkness fell across the whole land until three o'clock. Then at three o'clock, Jesus called out with a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you abandoned me? It's the first line of Psalm 22. He was quoting Psalm 22, which is a prophetic psalm, a prophecy of the Messiah's crucifixion. We're not going to look at that psalm today, but I encourage you to take some time and read through it today in light of Easter and all that we celebrate. Mark continues on. Then Jesus uttered another loud cry and breathed his last breath. And the curtain in the sanctuary of the temple was torn in two. And get this, from top to bottom. From top to bottom. It had been torn from the bottom to the top. That would have signified that men had grabbed it and had been pulling it apart, which would be quite the feat the way that thing was constructed. But it was not torn from bottom to top. It was torn from top to bottom, signifying that this is an act of God, not of man. That the barrier was torn in two by God himself. And then Mark says this, when the Roman officer who stood facing Jesus saw how he had died, he exclaimed, this man truly was the son of God. What an accurate testimony he gave. But do you see the incredible thing that's happened? The barrier between God and man has been torn down. And not by man, but by God. That God himself tore down the barrier between God and us. You know, Jesus had all the time been tearing things down in his ministry, in his life. The religious system of his day, the elite religious leaders had set it up so that there were barriers, social barriers and economic barriers, so that certain people were excluded from the club, if you will. And Jesus' ministry was all the time tearing down those barriers, tearing down social barriers and gender barriers and economic barriers and racial barriers, geographic barriers. All the time Jesus was saying, everyone is invited. Everyone is invited to come to God. And the cross 
And then the empty tomb were his final barrier-breaking acts of what he did. God saw that our lives, our relationships, our peace had been torn apart by our sin. So God tore the curtain in the temple to mend our lives, to put us back together the way he created and intended us to be. But for that barrier to come down required a sacrifice. No longer would the body and the blood of bulls and goats be enough. It never really was enough. It was a temporary sacrifice at best. No, for that barrier to come down required a perfect sacrifice, perfect innocent blood, a once for all sacrifice. You see, for that curtain, that barrier to come down required that the sinless son of God shed his own blood for us. Without the sacrifice of Jesus, the barrier between God and us doesn't come down. So Jesus' flesh was torn. With every crack of the whip when he was tortured, his flesh torn for us. With the crown of thorns placed upon his brow, piercing his skin, his flesh torn for us. With the nails driven through his wrists and his feet, his flesh torn for us. Jesus was torn for us, broken for us, so that we could be healed by his perfect sacrifice. The author of Hebrews, a book in the New Testament, says it this way. It says, and so, dear brothers and sisters, we can boldly enter heaven's most holy place. Not just the holy place of the temple, but the holiest place of heaven we can enter in. And why? Because of the blood of Jesus. By his death, Jesus opened a new and life-giving way through the curtain into the most holy place. Jesus' death is significant. In two major ways. One, he is the sinless son of God. That's a pretty significant thing that we crucified the son of God. And two, he did not stay dead. That's why we get together today. That's why we celebrate. That's really good news. The stone rolled away from the tomb. Jesus resurrected after the crucifixion. That's why we're here, right? That's good news. We're celebrating, right, church? That's what it's all about. And because of that, Because of that, because he is the son of God, he has the authority. And because he is the risen one from the grave, he has the power to tear down the barrier that separates us from God. Jesus has both the authority and the power to eliminate that barrier. His body became the curtain for us. He became in himself the entryway for us to make our way to God. That's what Jesus was doing on the cross. He tore down that keep out sign, that do not enter sign, that authorized personnel only sign. And instead, he put a brand new sign in its place, a sign that looks a little warmer, a little homier, a little more inviting. He put a welcome sign. All are welcome to make their way to God. That's what the cross signified. That's what the empty grave shouts to us. We are welcome to come to God through Jesus. But we got a problem. Because all the time we are rebuilding the wall between us and God, not just with a curtain, but with stone, with brick, we are rebuilding a wall. Our sin, sin, the the word the Bible uses for our rebellion against God, for choosing to go our way instead of following God's way, for doing it on our own, for ignoring God and neglecting God, that's sin. Our sin rebuilds a barrier between us and God, our shame, the the guilt and shame over the things we've done and the things that have been done to us. 
builds a barrier between us and God. All the time we are reconstructing the barrier between us and God. And, and it causes us to buy into this lie, this lie that tells us that we gotta pretend. That we gotta pretend that we belong, that we gotta pretend that we're okay, we gotta pretend and act like everything's good, that there is no problem, that we've got it all together. It causes us to, to pretend that we have the right image, that we show up in our Sunday best, and not just on Easter, and not just with what we wear, but with the image we portray all the time. We're pretending that we belong and we act like it's all okay when we all know it's not all okay, that every single one of us has stuff going on. Every single one of us has issues. Every single one of us has those barriers between us and God. That it's not all fine. But we're pretending like Bob and Brandon on the movie set, like we're just supposed to be there. And so we build up these walls. You know, all of us have sin. All of us have shame. All of us have these things that get between us and God. They get between us and one another. A couple of weeks ago, a few weeks ago, I invited those who were at church that day to write down their one word or one phrase shame story. If they could boil down their story to one word or one phrase, the things that were the barrier between them and God, what what would that story be? And we invited them to come and to leave those things here, to signify that they're leaving them at the feet of Jesus, at the altar, that we don't have to carry those things with us, that because of what Jesus has done, those things are now removed. And I was so proud of you all. So many of you came and you left those statements for us. You told us of the things that get in your way. In a moment, I want to read some of those, not too specifically. Don't worry, I'm not going to call out anybody's name here. But I want you to listen for your own story in the list to see if you might be on it. They're common things to many of us, really. And I want to remind us, though, before I read that list, that when the curtain tore when Jesus was crucified... He tore down these barriers, that they're gone, they're removed. He took them to the cross with him. He took them to the grave with him. But when he came out of that grave and resurrected life, he left those things behind wrapped up in the barrier cloth. They're left behind in the grave, friend. But see if you hear your story in this. The barrier of anger tore that one down. Drugs tore it down. Lies, stealing. Self-hatred, I hate that one for you. He tore that barrier down. Divorce, tore it down. Addiction, cheating, pride, porn, spiritual arrogance, controlling others, abortion, feeling unworthy. I hate that for you. Lust, he tore it down. Do you hear yourself here? Adultery, selfishness, I think we all are there. Staying silent when I should have spoken up, he tore it down. The financial mismanagement, he tore it down. Judging others, that barrier's gone. Betrayal, that one's gone. Failure, oh, that one came down. My temper, out of control, he tore that barrier down. Laziness, the barrier is gone. Gluttony, that barrier's gone. Abuse, it's gone. Not forgiving myself or others, that barrier's gone. Ego, we're all right there with you. That barrier's gone. Friends, we're just getting started. And Jesus, he tore all those barriers 
barriers down, all of them torn down, all of them removed. The barrier of your sin, of your shame, no longer stands between you and God. What he did on the cross, what he did in the grave, tore that barrier down between you and God. So you can now walk in freedom and new life. Good news? Good news. Did you hear your story on the list? I did. Again and again and again. That's my story too. See, Paul, an early, or a leader in the early church, a missionary, maybe one of the first missionaries, if we call him that, he wrote this to the church at Rome. He said, for everyone. Now, who does that include? Everyone. That's all of us, right? For everyone has sinned. No one is excluded from that group. Welcome to the club, buddy. We all, every single one of us, fall short of God's glorious standard. That wasn't just true for them. That's true for us. This includes all of us. We're all part of the shameful sinner club. (laughs) But yet God, and I love this phrase, the turning point of history, yet God in his grace, a gift offered that's not deserved in his grace, he freely makes us right in his sight. And how did he do it? He did it through Christ Jesus. When he freed us from the penalty for our sins. You know, we all face the death penalty for our sin. That's what we deserved. We deserve the death penalty for our sin. Spiritual death and eternal death from God. For God presented Jesus as the sacrifice for sin. People are made right with God when they believe that Jesus sacrificed his life shedding his blood. No longer the blood and the body of bulls and goats will do. It is now the blood of the sinless son of God. The special sacrifice sent from heaven for us to free us from our sin. You know, right before Paul wrote that, immediately before it, he told him this. He said, we are made right with God by placing our faith. Now, faith is not just belief. Faith in the Bible is a verb. Most times we read it's a verb. It's action. It means we believe and then we follow. We believe and we follow. We put action to our belief. So we're made right with God by placing our active faith in Jesus Christ. And this is true for who? Say it with me. Everyone who believes. No matter who we are. No matter who you are. No matter what you've done. It's true for us today. It's true for you today. As it was for that audience 2,000 years ago when Paul first wrote those words. This is true for all of us. If we believe, if we put our hope in Jesus, we are made right with God. Amen. What great news. That's what Jesus has done for us, friends. Now, a couple weeks ago, I invited the church to come forward and, and participate in a special activity. We, we built a sign. Now, before we get to that sign, I want to let you know that we did this because we believe that this is for everyone. See, Easter is for everyone. Jesus is for everyone. The sacrifice he made on that cross is for everyone. And everyone includes you. A couple of weeks ago, we invited those who were with us on a Sunday. We had some guys in our church build a special sign for us. You probably saw it in the lobby today. It's right out through these doors. I can see the light of it shining at me even now. Yeah, I don't know how you would have missed it. It's pretty bright. Um, but we have this sign that says everyone. And we invited people to come forward and place a bulb in that sign for the one person they know who needs to know that they are part of the everyone Jesus died for. The one person who they know who needs to know that they're part of everyone. So if you're a guest with us today, if you were invited to join us today, either in person or online, you need to know that one of the bulbs in that sign was placed there for you. And it means this, that without the one and only you, 
Our mission of helping everyone find and follow Jesus just won't be complete. Because Christ died for everyone, and that includes the one and only special, unique you. He died for you. He rose from the grave for you. See, all of this is for you. And maybe you've been praying, you know, God, help me see that. Well, what you need to know is that this is for you. The God who dies on a cross for you is a God who is for you, not against you. A God who's against you doesn't go to the cross for you. No, the cross is for you. The crown of thorns for you. The nails in his wrists and his feet for you. The whips he took for you. The grave for you. The stone rolled away in an empty tomb for you. The resurrection life and the invitation to join him in resurrection life is for you. That's the story of Easter. And it's for everyone and everyone includes you. And maybe you're one of those people who've been praying, God, send me a sign. Just give me a sign. Let me know you're real. Let me know you're for me. God, let me know what's up. God, let me know how to get close to you. God, I just need a sign. Today you get a couple. It's right here. You are welcome with God. There's a bulb in the sign in the lobby that says, everyone, that's your sign. That you are part of the everyone he died for. What a beautiful Beautiful story it is. Friend, what that means is that you belong here. You don't have to pretend. You don't have to fake it. You don't have to act like you got it all together. Listen, I'm just going to be honest. Nobody's got it all together. I've been at this for over two decades. I'm the preacher here. I don't have it all together. None of us have it all together. Here's what we do have. We have a God who is constantly putting us back together in the way we're supposed to be, the way he intended us to be. So we can have pure relationship with him and with one another and peace with ourselves. So you don't got to pretend that you got it all together. Nobody's got it all together. You don't got to pretend that it's all okay. You don't have to act. You don't have to act like you belong, like Brandon and Bob on a movie set. Because you do belong. Without any pretense, without any acting, you belong here. This place, this church, this King of kings and Lord of lords, the risen, resurrected, reigning Savior is for everyone. And that includes you. So welcome. Welcome. It wasn't long after Jesus' resurrection that he then ascended back to heaven. And not long after that, there was this gathering of Jewish people in in Jerusalem. It was a big religious festival. They had gathered around, and one of Jesus' closest friends and followers preached a message to those who were gathered there that day. Thousands of people gathered And Peter preached a message. I'm just going to give you the snapshot of what he preached. He preached this to him. He said, God raised Jesus from the dead. Good news. That's why we celebrate Easter. And we are all witnesses of it. Now, he was speaking to a first-person crowd that was there. They were at the time. He said, you know it. The tomb is empty. Go find his body. It's not there. He's back in heaven. He says, now he's exalted to the place of highest honor in heaven at God's right hand, which is where he belongs, to be lifted up, to be exalted, to be praised and honored. Peter went on. It said, so let everyone in Israel know for certain that God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, to be both Lord and Messiah. Now he told them straight up, you crucified him. You were there. You shouted crucify. You wanted him to die. Friend, what was true of them is no less true for us. Our sin, our rebellion against God, we held the whip. We placed the crown of thorns. Our sin drove the nails, hoisted the cross. 
put the stone in front of the grave. It was our sin that crucified our Savior. So we're right there with those people in Israel at that time. But he said, God has made this Jesus whom you crucified to be both Lord and Messiah. Now, we don't use terms like Lord and Messiah too often in our culture. And when we do, a lot of times we don't really know what it means. So let me just put it in terms that we can understand a little bit better. Lord means leader. He's the one in charge. We follow his lead. Because when we lead ourselves, we lead ourselves astray. We follow his lead. He always leads us in the right path. And Messiah, well, maybe just think of that as rescuer. He's one who came to rescue you. And the one who came to rescue you deserves to have you follow his lead. Because the one who rescues you is never gonna lead you astray. If he rescued you, he's gonna continue to rescue you by being your leader. So Peter went on. His words pierced their hearts. They said, well, what what do we do? Brothers, what, what should we do? How can we be saved? What do we do in light of this? We crucified the Savior. That's not good news. What do we do? And his response was this, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. Every one of you, no less true for us today than it was back then. Every one of us, every one of you, repent and be baptized. Now that word repent means we turn from our sin and we turn to God. We turn from doing it our way and we turn to God and follow his way. And to be baptized means to be immersed in water. That's what that word means. It means to be immersed, to be dunked, to be plunged under, to be drowned. It's one of the ways they talked of it. Now that sounds pleasant. Go drown yourself. But here's what that means. It's a picture of being, putting your old life to death, right? That's not normally the Easter message. Hey, go drown. Let me tell you. It means put your old way of living to death and come up in a new life. It's a picture of the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus. That's what baptism is. It is this beautiful picture of being washed clean, not by the water of the baptistry, but spiritually by the blood of Jesus that covers over our sin and our failure. It's what, it's what helps us enter into a new relationship with God. See, in the, in the water, your past is washed away, your sins washed away, your guilt washed away, your old way of living washed away. And there your past becomes a thing of your past. And you get to step into a brand new relationship with God. The barrier torn down and a new life given to you. Access to God given freely to you. Not because that water is special, it's not. We're not saved by the water, we're saved by the Savior. But he gives us this gift and that's how we take hold of it. And listen, just getting in the water and getting baptized without, without faith, now you just get wet. That's not baptism. Doing that without repentance, not baptism. See, it's all a package deal. We believe, we confess that he is Lord and he is leader and he is rescuer and we will follow him and trust in him. We confess that we need him and we surrender our lives to him. And we do that in the water of the baptistry because that's the picture he gave us. And in that moment, all the ordinariness and all the naturalness we have God meets us in his extraordinary supernatural presence and does something new to give us new life in him. It's so beautiful. And the barriers in that moment are torn down. So it's where it starts, never where it ends. Baptism is a first step, not a final step. It's where we begin this life of following Jesus. 
And so there's only two questions you need to answer to determine if you're ready. One, am I willing to trust Jesus as my rescuer? And two, am I willing to follow Jesus as my leader? Because it's there in the baptistry that we say, Jesus, I trust you, I follow you, I surrender to you, you're in charge, and I trust you to lead me well. You know, friend, God loves you just as you are. This welcome sign says, welcome just as you are. You don't have to pretend, you don't have to fake it, you don't have to do something else. You just come just as you are. Because God loves you just as you are. But he loves you way too much to let you stay that way. So baptism becomes the first step in a life of faithfulness. Our baptism is proven true by our faithfulness to God. Because it's there that we step into a life of continual worship in the pursuit of the Holy One. Because the God who loves us enough to die for us is a God who is worthy of our worship, worthy of our praise, worthy for us to pursue Him. And you don't have to have it all together. Jesus never once said you had to have all your questions answered. You gotta act all the right way. You gotta put it all together before you come to Him. No, He says, come to me just as you are. Bring your doubts and your and your skepticism and your cynicism, bring your fails, bring your shame, bring all that stuff, bring all the barriers that stand between you and me, and I'm gonna tear those things down, and then we're gonna walk together from there for eternity. That's the beauty of the invitation of Jesus, is to come as you are and let him breathe new life into you, to tear down all the barriers in your life. So in just a moment, I'm gonna give you the same invitation, the same opportunity that Peter gave to that crowd that day. He told them, repent and be baptized, every one of you in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And 3,000 people in the crowd were baptized. What an awesome thing. We don't have enough 3,000 of us here at this moment. But I'm certain that there are some of you whose hearts have been pierced today, just like some of those people in that crowd 2,000 years ago listening to Peter preach. And not because of my words, but because of what the Holy Spirit is doing. That you came here today and you knew you had barriers built up. Barriers of shame and guilt and doubt and skepticism. Friend, I don't know what barrier you have built up. But are you ready to let God tear it down? Are you ready to let God tear down those barriers just like he tore the curtain? Just like Jesus' body was torn for you? Just like he tore up all those other barriers? Are you ready to let them come down and step into a brand new life with Jesus, a forever life with Jesus? See, Jesus died for everyone, but you need to know that even if you were the only one, he still would have done it for you. Jesus died for everyone, but he still would have gone to the cross and the tomb and it would have come out victorious even if you were the only one because that's how much he loves you. So in a moment, I'm gonna pray for us and we're gonna stand and sing a couple more songs. And while we're listening to one of those songs, you're gonna see some other people come out and you're gonna get a snapshot of what God has done in their lives, of the barriers he's torn down for them. And during that song, I wanna invite you that if you know that you are ready to be baptized, that you are ready to step into a brand new life with Jesus, then I wanna invite you to make your way right over here in front of the baptistry while we sing. And listen, I know, I know how it goes. You're like, well, yeah, but I, like, I got my hair all done for Easter. Like some of us, we don't have to worry about that. You know? I don't know why you laugh. That's cruel. But you know, like you got your hair done. You know, your makeup's on. You're wearing like your Easter best dress and you're, you got, you're all dudded up. Listen, we got stuff where the water is warm. I'll be in the water waiting for you. And we've got special changing rooms. We got everything. We've removed as many barriers as we can to let God remove the barrier for you. So don't let any of those 
other barriers stand in the way. We, we've got private change rooms. We, we got... We got shorts for you to wear so there's no like wardrobe malfunction. We got a cool shirt that you get to keep afterwards. It's a great shirt. We, we got like undies so you like you don't have to go home on wet undies. So like you get like you sleep. It's weird. All right. But like you keep them, throw them away. I don't know. But we got those for you too. Like we've taken care of all of it. The barriers are removed. So of all the barriers that could stand between you and God, like, oh man, we're going to be late for lunch. Nobody's going to care. They're going to celebrate. Like that's the best reason to be late. Right? It's Resurrection Sunday. Right? Like nobody, they're like, look, listen. They're celebrating for you already. So when we stand and we sing, if you are ready, if you know that the barriers need to come down, let's do it. Let's do it. Church, let's pray. God, we thank you that you are the risen reigning Savior, that you are the one who stepped out of the grave victorious over death, victorious over our sin, victorious over our shame, that you took the death penalty that we deserved, and in exchange, you gave us life. And God, because you've done that for us, you deserve our worship, you deserve our praise, you deserve our allegiance, you deserve our love, you deserve the songs that we sing. God, you deserve our lives. And so we surrender them now. And God, for any who have not yet entered into that new life with you, I pray that right now in this moment, your words, your spirit is piercing their heart. Those online who are joining us, we'll wait for them. They drive over, we'll make it happen. Those in the room who the spirit is working on right now, God, remove whatever barrier is in their way. The barrier of fear, the barrier of what will people think, the barrier of people probably think I should have done this a long time ago, that I've been going to church forever. They probably think I'm already back. Whatever the barrier might be, the barrier that, oh, we're gonna be late for lunch or I'm gonna have to change my clothes, whatever it might be, God, tear all those barriers down. Give them the courage they need to come forward and step into a brand new life with you, that you would tear down all the barriers between them and you that they would walk in a brand new life forever. God, that they would come up out of that water like you came out of that grave with new life, victorious life, forever life. Jesus, we thank you that you are the life giver and the barrier remover, that you are the risen, the reigning, the only Lord and Messiah, Savior, rescuer, and leader. We give it all to you. And it's in your name we pray, amen. Church, let's stand and let's sing.